Take me to a place where I can see you. Take me to a place where my fears are gone. Take me to a place that I can be near Lord, take me, take me to the cross. Take me to a place where I can see Take me to a place where my fears are gone. Take me to a place that I can be near. Lord, take me, take me to the cross. To gain the prize for 
we thank you, Lord Jesus. God, of those who are in Christ, our new creation, God, you have prepared us to do good works. God, that you have called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. God, that we are called your trophies of grace. Father, that you were pleased to reveal yourself to us through your Son, Jesus. That you have delivered us, Father. That those who are in Christ are made whole. That we are at peace with our Creator. That there's nothing missing and nothing broken. Oh, how I pray, God, that we don't take the freedom that we have in Christ for granted. And I pray for those, God, who are not in Christ today, that, God, that they would hear, Lord, your still small voice. God, that their eyes would be open, that they would see the need for Jesus, and that they would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus, that they would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved, that they would have a a belief and a confession that Jesus is the Son of God and that He rose from the dead. And that, Father, that they would receive the Holy Spirit. They would be born afresh and anew in Christ, we pray. So we thank You, God, for this time to gather. We thank You for Your Word, which is alive and active. Oh, how I pray, God, that we won't only be hearers of the Word, but, Father, that we would be doers of the word. So ultimately, that our lives, God, will bring glory and honor to you as you send us out, Father, to declare the good news of Jesus to those who are still captive and enslaved by sin. So we thank you for the message of freedom that can only be found in Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Community. Two definitions, a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. The second one, a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. Go to Romans chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. Romans chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. We are in the eighth month of this year talking about community and encouraging us to grow in our desire for community. Romans 1, verse 11 through 12. For I long to visit you so I could bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. And so this is Paul writing to the church in Rome. His desire is to be with them, to encourage them, to help them grow But that's not his only desire. He also longs for them to encourage him by their faith 
by them living out their life, their newness of life in Christ. And as we've read before in Proverbs, it's iron sharpens iron. It's this together this it's the togetherness of the body of Christ that we belong with each other. We're not to be those long those lone ranger Christians just doing it on their own, but that we are called to be together, that we are needed. Each of us are needed in the body of Christ. This is how God designed it. It's not how man's designed it. It's God's design. His church, his bride, his people. That we are new creations. And we long for Christ. And in our longing for Christ, we long for the body of Christ. To come together, to encourage each other, to edify each other, and to build each other up. That when we come together, it's not a duty like, oh, we have to do this. No, we long to do it. We long to be in the presence of God in our own personal time of devotion. But we long also to be in the presence of God with other believers. Each of us face trying times and hours and days and weeks and months. (laughs) And we need to be able to be there for each other, to encourage each other, to support each other, to uphold the standards of Christ to each other. There's work to be done. And in the community of, of, and within the Christian community, it's vital that we know our identity. We can look out in the world and even in our own community in Orlando, and there's all these other communities, they know their identity, they know what they believe, they, they know who they are, and they live as such. And that's how the Christian community should be. We shouldn't be divided in what we believe because we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He rose from the dead. And in doing so, He has set us free, that we are born again, that we are new creations. Our goal is to live for Christ, not for ourselves. We reckon ourselves dead, but alive in Christ. We no longer feast, and nor should we, from what's behind us. We're we're learning to break free of that hold. We're understanding what repentance is, what renewal is. It is vital in our lives that we are free people. And so that when we come together, we're celebrating the freedom that we have in Christ. And then as we go out into these other communities, we are different because we have freedom. They've got a false sense of freedom. And so we have a message to tell. We have the good news to give. We're to be an example to them. They are to look at us and say there is something different. And again, as we've heard and as we've as you read the Word of God, you understand that to some you're going to be a fragrance of death. They're not going to want you around. 
And to others, you're going to be the fragrance of life. You're going to be this sweet aroma that's going to draw them. That through you, the Holy Spirit would draw people, men, women, and children, to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is the community. This is the Christian community. This is who we belong to and what we belong in. And each of us are needed. I can't keep stressing that enough. Each of us are needed. You should know how you've been gifted. The Holy Spirit distributes the gifts among the church. Each of you has a gift or gifts that you should be growing in and you should be utilizing in our coming together. It is vital that each of us are doing our part. And again, that we're just not takers. We're not just to be taking and, 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 and not giving. You know, we, we all have a part. And that's why it's vital that you're a healthy Christian, that you're maturing, that you're growing. Without you, we can't fully accomplish what God has called us to. And so you have a sense of belonging. You have a sense of, 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 <coughs> of connectedness, of family. But ultimately... <laughs> You're at peace with God through Christ Jesus, your Lord. Last week we we were studying and we were talking about Isaiah. And when Isaiah had the vision of him before the throne of God, he saw himself as doomed. And I challenged you last week, have you seen yourself? Do Do you truly know what repentance is? Do you truly understand salvation in Christ, do you understand the, the 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 need of being born again through Christ? Do you understand that you've received God Himself in you, the Holy Spirit in you. Like Isaiah saw himself doomed, the holiness of God and the sinfulness of himself. And then as soon as we read that, we read how the, the, the seraphim, the angel, took the coals from the throne and touched his lips. And he was cleansed and he was forgiven. And right as he saw himself in, 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 in the right manner of who he is in and of himself, a sinful man, he's doomed in the presence of a holy God. But now God has cleansed him and forgiven him. And then God says, who shall we send? And then all of a sudden, Isaiah is standing up and saying, here I am, send me. In an instant, he was changed. He was transformed. And as it is with us, like we see ourselves doomed. We understand the wrath of God that, that we ought to be swallowed up in because he is a holy God and we are sinful creatures we are at war with God we're at rebellion we're in rebellion towards his throne but God is pleased to reveal himself to us through his son Jesus and through the resurrection of of Christ Jesus sin the power of sin has been broken death has been defeated you've been cleansed you've been forgiven Am I am I am I prayer time all week and just praying for us and just thinking through God, do we understand that 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 hope that just that alone 
ought to give you. That you have been cleansed of your sins and you are forgiven. And how that should radically change your life. That you don't keep going back and acting ugly and being enslaved and chained up in your old nature. There's nothing good that can come from it. Nothing You can keep living how you want, but nothing good is going to come from it. But when you have been transformed, when you you truly understand the level of freedom that you have, you won't treat it lightly. You will have an understanding that apart from Christ, you're doomed. But in Christ, you are free and you are forgiven. And you ought to get up each day. Here I am, Lord, send me. Mature me, grow me. I want to be a living sacrifice. I want to live for you. I want to see others come to the saving knowledge of Christ. I just don't want them to find religion that keeps them enslaved to sin. But I want them to know the freedom that is found in Christ. I want to long as Paul longed to be with the church, to encourage them, to help them grow, and in return be encouraged by them through their faith. There is a way in which we are called to live, you all. And if you haven't haven't had that experience of seeing yourself for who you really are, wicked, vile, and rebellion to a holy God, and that if you were brought into His presence, you are doomed. But because of Jesus, if you are in Christ, you are cleansed, you are forgiven, and you should be living as such. All through Scripture, again, we've heard this over and over and over. God's purpose, God's plan to have a people that He will call His own, and in return, they will call Him their God. They would love Him with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, with all of their body, and with all of their strength, with everything within them. The Holy Scriptures tells us that He's given us everything we need to live a godly life. You see, we have to stop making excuses for the sin that so easily entangles us. We are to, if, we're, if you're truly a Christian, the Bible says to throw it off. To get up, repent, and keep moving forward. Keep going towards God. I, I encouraged you and challenged you last week, over this past week, to seek God at a greater level like you've never had before. And have, have you really done that this week? And if you haven't, you have to ask yourself, why haven't you? You have to ask yourself, why don't I desire God? Why don't I desire to grow as a Christian? To, to, to be disciple, to understand who He is and who I am, and the level of freedom that I have in Him. Why don't I long to be in His presence, to engage with Him and to engage with other Christians, so that as I'm out engaging with the lost, 
that I am burning brightly among them. Like, see, you have to understand, and as we're reading through Scripture, as we're looking at the the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we see the heart of men and women being exposed. They want God as we want God on our own terms. And that's not how it works. It'll never work that way. You may think you're righteous, you may think you're in, but really you're out. And again, the very thought that there's going to be people standing before Jesus and say, what do you mean you don't know me? I was among your church. I did this and I did that and I did this and I did that. And he's going to say, but I don't know you. You worker of iniquity, you worker of sin, you who are still in rebellion towards me. You have no right to the inheritance that I give to those who belong to me. You see, you're not going to go out and waste the inheritance that you've been given as a believer. See, when you know God, and again, I I can't say this enough, like there's no error found in God. He is holy, He is righteous, He is merciful, He's long-suffering. His desire and His will is that none shall perish. He, He loves you, and He desires for you to be with Him. This is what you're created for. But He's not going to force you. It's not a forced conversion. (laughs) Because greater love, there's no greater love than this, that a man would freely lay down his life for another. And that's what Jesus did for us. And that's the call that He calls us to. You see, Jesus never leads us where He hasn't gone. He says, this is the way. I've come to earth and flesh, I wrapped myself in what you are enslaved to, and I've lived it out to show you there is a way. And it's the way to the cross. My ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Everything that of God's kingdom is is an opposite, it's in contrary to what the earth and what the rulers of the earth and the principalities and the air and the darkness and your very own nature long for or live for. And so we have to wake up. Because again, as we see that the day and the age in which we're living, it's getting darker and darker and darker, but we should be growing brighter, not just to be among each other, though we are called to be together, but you're to be out there burning bright at your jobs, in the grocery stores, on the highways, in your schools, wherever you are. You're to go forth and to live and live a life of abundance, of freedom, no matter your circumstances. Because as Christians, we live not bound to the temporalness of this life, but the eternal hope that we have in Christ. We're only passing through. We're not taking up camp on this side of heaven. 
We're just passing through. And so we should be enjoying life. No matter our present circumstances. And you say, well, that's easy for you to say. No, it's not. I've walked through, I've been through, and I'm sure I'll walk through and I'll go through again. Just as you are, because Jesus himself tells us, in this world you will have trouble, but be a good cheer. I've already overcame the world. That alone should be enough to get you up out of your slump. We don't make light of the circumstances that we go through. Some of us are going to have to walk through some serious times. But we find encouragement in the midst of it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Like, see, you're transitioning from who you were to who you are and were created to be. God formed you. God knows you. He created you. He designed you. He numbered the hairs on your head. He placed you in your mother's womb. He prepared good works for you to do. And He, since the moment you took your first breath, has been with you. And He has coming woven in and out of every season of your life to reveal himself to you. He has never abandoned you. But again, I can't stress it enough as we see in Scripture. You've got yourself, your flesh, that hates God. Though it longs to have some form of God ruling over it, so it's fine with the man-made gods, and what it creates to bow down to. You have the world system that lures the flesh, that provokes the flesh, that the flesh longs for in complete rebellion to the throne of God. And then you have the rulers and the principalities in the air of the darkness, Satan and his legion of demons, who are in complete rebellion towards God. And they've been assigned to destroy your life. And so each day, apart from Christ, this is what you're enslaved with. And they're not letting up. They're not taking a back seat. It is an all-out war for your soul. And this is what I keep encouraging you in over the past month. Do you give thought about your soul? Do you understand the value and the worth and who created you? And so your, your soul you should give thought to. And so when God reveals himself to you, you see the condition you're in. You're responsible for your actions, for your choices, for your sin, for yourself, and your rebellion towards Him, that's why you need to repent. And that repentance is breaking free from that self-will that's been dominating you. And you say, God, I'm yours. 
I relinquish rights to myself. I'm a sinner. And apart from you, I am wicked. And I do not desire the things of this earth any longer. God, I desire you. Not in and of myself, but because this is what you've given me. Like you love me, even though I'm in complete rebellion towards you. You loved me. You know me. So here I am, Lord. The good, the bad, the ugly. In and of myself, I'm wicked. And you've humbled yourself before the living God that he may begin to bring forth that which he has always purposed for your life. And that's where the longing comes to know him more. Like when you've had an encounter, when, when you recognize you're nothing but a doomed creation, creation <laughs> and rebellion to its creator. And you recognize in that moment, but he's made a way for me to get up out of that state of filth and be cleansed and forgiven. Are you walking and are you living as if you've been cleansed and forgiven? You ought to be if you're a Christian. A Christian. One who has been transformed by Christ. Not one who follows the rules and the laws and goes to church when they want and do this and do that and make it all about them. But a true Christian whose life has been impacted and transformed by the grace of God through Christ Jesus their Lord. Go to John chapter 15. Scriptures again we've seen to hope to encourage you to be in community. John 15 verse 12 through 13. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is my commandment, Jesus says. <laughs> love each other in the same way I have loved you. This is what we're called to do, you all. And so all the backbiting and all the weirdness that goes on in churches and has been going on, we need to stop it. We need to be as Christ has called us to be. Love. Again, the Bible says, how will they, those outside of the church, know we belong to Him? Or even those sitting in the church that's not really in Christ. How will they know that we belong to Him by our love for one another? Our love for one another. And we only can have that as we first understand His love for us. You see, when you freely receive what you do not deserve, oh, hear that, capture that. When you freely 
received what you do not deserve. You freely give it. You freely give it to others. You give to them what they don't deserve. Because you received it and you didn't deserve it. But one paid the price. One took your punishment. His name is Jesus. He bore the weight of the wrath of God for you so that you wouldn't have to. And he rose the third day, breaking the power of sin in your life and the power of death, that which sin causes. And now you live a liberated person, a free person. And again, if you're not experiencing it, you've got to ask yourself, You've got to really recognize, wait a minute. Am I in Christ or am I still out of Christ? And you say, well, how will I know? Do you long for Christ? Are the decisions that you're making honoring what Christ has done? The places that you're going? The the, the thoughts that are running rampant in your heart and in your mind? The words that are coming from your mouth? Do you under, do you understand the weight of what what the weight that sin carries <laughs> and the level of freedom that you have in Christ to go forth and to love as he's loved and to be an example to others and to live in community with people with the the, the same desire as you And so we don't come into the community and try to tear down the community. No, we're there to build it up because we are loving one another as He has loved us. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. And if your desire for community hasn't grown in the past eight months, something is wrong. Because you're hearing the scriptures, you're hearing the heart of God giving you an understanding of what He has formed to bring about His purpose and His plan. He knows the way the world is going. Created man, sinful man, is destroying what He's created. The enemy is wreaking havoc on the earth. The earth, the creation itself, is groaning for the return of Christ. Do you understand what Scripture says? Creation itself is groaning for the return of Christ. That Scripture always fascinates me. When Jesus says, listen, if they stop praising me, the rocks will begin. Creation is longing to be restored. But yet, the created man and women don't have that longing as the creation. 
Because we're in rebellion towards Him. But when you're set free, when you've been delivered, when you know the King is coming, you can't help but praise Him. You can't help but long for Him. You can't help but long to be around others who long for Him. Like we're going up together, you all. And so we ought to be celebrating. Like when we come together, Jesus is among us. And we ought to be shouting. We ought to be praising God. We ought to be hungering for the things of God. We ought to be longing for God. And so if these past eight months, you haven't sensed a a greater depth and desire for Christ and for the church and for community, something is wrong. I can't can't just play like, okay, okay, poof, you're a Christian, poof, you're a Christian, poof, you're a Christian. But I can tell you this, if you look at Scripture, and there is a lot of what on the outside look like sanctified people, Good moral people, religious people, and yet they were wicked. Jesus himself says, your father's the devil. Like when we see all through scripture and we see God pleading with his people, if you would just abide in me, if you would just allow me to be your God, things would go well for you. But no, We don't want you. We want what we want of you, but the rest we'll find elsewhere. He says, come out from among those nations. Do not be attracted to what they worship. Do not have false gods. Do not give in to perversion. Do not give in to what is there. You see, everything that we see before us, our day, it's nothing new to God. It hasn't taken God by surprise. It's been on the earth. It's just rising up again at a greater level. The end times are going to be worse than the days of Noah. It's not taking God by surprise. He tells us it's coming. Earthquakes, famine, wars, rumors of wars, perversion. The occult, everything, because the created man is being led by Satan, who has been given full rights and reign on this earth. And he has such a short time, because that deed has already been taken from him. Jesus is coming back and claiming what belongs to him. The victory is already Christ. And so he doesn't say, Father, take them, those that belong to me, out of the earth. No, keep them, but protect them by the name you've given me. Like that you get up and understand the power that just is in the name of Jesus. 
Or are you just getting up and just going through your day doing these religious things? And yet staying bound to sin and flirting with sin and giving yourself over to that which is in rebellion to your God. Eight months now, we've been talking about community. Because it's vital. As I've said before, the way church has been done, it's, it can't be done that way any longer. You see, all of this is rising up. And yet the good news is, Jesus says, but my gospel will be preached throughout the earth. See, that's a whole different mindset. When you get up and you know that you're a believer, and you're part of an incredible generation, like you live differently. Oh, you should be living differently. You should be commanding and speaking forth each and every single day, everywhere your feet tread. It shall be given unto Christ. And you should go forth and begin to speak life. And when the opportunity is given, Share it with others. Before you go into a store, you ought to be praying. Before you get in your car, you ought to be praying. Before you get up out of bed, you ought to be praying. While you're sitting down eating, you ought to be praying. As you're going into work, you ought to be praying. Pray without ceasing. You see, there's a different way Christians are to be living. And it's a life of freedom. Like again, when you know him, when you know him for who he is, and he's so pleased to reveal himself to you more and more and more, and when then when you're around the, the community of believers, when when all of a sudden you, you, you're just like, yes, God, do it again, Lord. We know who you are. We know how powerful you are, how victorious you are. We know that you purposed us for today. None of us are by chance or by accidents. You purposed us for this generation. We are purposed to go forth. Let them hate us. Let them say whatever they want. Let them judge us. But we've got to stop cowering down to what others think of Christ and what they think of you as a Christian. And you can't just have one foot in and one foot out thinking that you're doing the will of your Father. Because if your Father's truly God, you're not halfway in bed with Satan. And you can say, well, it's not that bad. No, it's bad. You're doomed. I want you to think about this week. You were challenged to go and draw close to God. And if you didn't, you better wake up. Something is amiss in your Christianity. Something is off. You say, well, I didn't have time. Well, I've got this. Oh, I've got that. Well, you know, this was going on. And yet, whatever that is, is your God. It is what is you are serving. But when you're serving the true God... Again, there's a level of freedom and confidence in which you walk in. 
not in and of yourself, because all that he's accomplished, like so much has been given to us. Again, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you as a believer. And yet somehow over the years from pulpits within the church community, what we've been told is, well, you're just sinners. You're always just going to sin. Don't get too overly religious. Just live here. Be bottom feeders. Jesus is coming back for you. And where do you see that in Scripture? Especially since Jesus came. Once he got out of that tomb, you all, everything's changed. And you say, but we're still in the flesh. Yes. We still have the opportunity to sin. Yes. But sin is not your master. That's why 1 John says, I write to you that you will not sin, but if you do, remember Jesus. See, as Christian, you, you don't have to stay down at the doomed, like, oh, I'm doomed. No, because you've been cleansed, you've been forgiven. This is who you are now. So you repent, you get up, you move forward. It's a sincere remorse. It's a sincere regret. But if you want to play the weird game like, well, I'm just going to sin. So why not sin? God really didn't ask me to to be holy, to be separate, did he? What kind of God would he be then? I want to have fun. I want to enjoy and so then when you say that, you're, asked, you're almost saying like, so there's no enjoyment found in Christ? There's no enjoyment found in the community of believers? There's no enjoyment out of the one who gives life? So you search elsewhere for enjoyment to satisfy your tastes, to satisfy your hunger, to satisfy your desires? You're living against him. See, when you're a Christian, you begin to line up See, you were born, flesh, the body, in the flesh. But when you're born again, you're born of the Spirit. And that's why through Scripture you see, even Paul tells the church, I have to speak to you in human terms in hopes that you're understanding. Because you're not going to grasp it if I speak up here in the Spirit. To the mature, he says, I can speak in the Spirit. But for those who aren't mature, I've got to speak down here in hopes that you gain understanding as the Spirit of God is awakening you to not only hear but to receive, to quicken you up from the dead, from the enslavement of sin. (laughs) Oh, how I pray you know what Christ has come to give us and that you would honor him that you would understand the level of freedom you have oh you can make all the excuses in the world to stay stay shackled and shamed 
But that's all it is. It's excuses. It's sin. And you're calling God a liar. I mean, you're calling God, the creator, a liar. That's why we don't trample his blood and make it common. <laughs> and some of us, that's all we're doing. We've made him so common <laughs> that there's no power in his blood. Oh, but trust me, there is power in the blood of Jesus. We have been forgiven. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25. Again, scriptures to encourage us to grow and desire community. Let us hold tightly without wavering. Yes. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep His promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another, listen to this, to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, listen to this, especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. The day of His return is drawing near. How should we be living? Encouraging one another. Not neglecting meeting together. And to think of ways to motivate one another. Of love, towards acts of love and good works. Think about a Christian that you encouraged this week. And you say, oh, but I haven't. Then what are you doing? Who did you reach out to this week to motivate them towards acts of love? To encourage them? You know, but I'm busy. You don't know I've got this. No, but do you understand? It's not because you have to. No, it's just because it's just, it's just who you're becoming as you're learning of Christ, as you're growing as a Christian. As you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling. (laughs) As you're longing for Christ and longing for community and longing for His return and getting up each day. God, there's a purpose for me today. I don't want to miss divine appointments. I don't want to miss the opportunities in which are set forth before me because I'm so bound to myself, me, myself, and I. Place someone on my heart, God, I want to I respond. So did you encourage one another this week? So many times people are looking for people, they, again, it's just the takers, it's just the takers in the church. Well, no one texted me, no one called me, no one this, no one that. And maybe it should have been you reaching out to people. Always wanting, always wanting, always wanting, always needing, always this, always that, always lost, always bound in sin, but blaming everyone else. See, if that is your life, well, this is your mirror. Are you in Christ? We've got to stop playing games. We've got to stop pretending we are when we aren't. Like, we have to wake up to the seriousness of the day. 
I mean, when I see little boys being trained on public streets within the gay community on how to dance on a stripper's pole, something is wrong. When there is an all-out war for this upcoming generation, have we not seen it? And we don't hate them. But by God, you ought to wake up and say, what level of perversion? I don't need any other sign to know Jesus is returning. When you see the farmers over in the Netherlands beating, I mean, God, if you don't have him watch what's going on over there and what those people are enduring because the government is taking their land. When you see Baal worship, what you're reading in the Old Testament, when you see it in 2022, and the Commonwealth this week, this past week, and their celebration of opening their ceremonies, and they usher out this huge bull, and they're all dancing around, everyone's enticed and, and so excited, and they're saying, what's the big deal? Oh, it's a big deal. When you see the state of the earth, and you're not praying, and you're not interceding, and you're not part of community, and you're not even giving thought to Christ or desiring to draw close to Him, something is wrong. You are going to be swept away if you're not in Christ. I want to challenge you. Are you in Christ? <laughs> Wickedness, vileness, is running rampant. I wept watching that video. Like what? Who thinks this is okay? Let grown people do what grown people want to do. That's well, fine, whatever. But when you're going after the innocence of children, I wouldn't want a heterosexual talking to children about their sex lives. I wouldn't want innocent children to have to be so concerned and so confused. Like something is seriously off. And then you're just going to get up each day and just just do you? And you're, poof, I'm a Christian though. Oh God. Who? Oh, we've got to wake up. These are times. These are days. This is the desire that we need to have to gather together so that we're coming together. And you're saying, listen, this is what this is the conversations we ought to be having. We ought to be holding up the standard of, of, of Christ. And, and we're first being honest with ourselves. If you're struggling with desires, if you're doing things you ought not to be doing, you ought not to be afraid to tell people, you need to get it out in the open. You don't suffer in silence. You don't stay shackled in shame and silence. That's why you're in community. Listen, this is how my mind is being bombarded. This is what I'm going through. I don't know what to do.
You bring out, you expose the fruitless deeds of darkness, the Bible says. Because what you're going through and what you're enduring, God can turn it around so you can give testimony to those who are going through it that aren't telling anyone. But all of a sudden, they're hearing what God has done in your life. And you're living so free and transparent, talking about it without shame. Not that you're making, you're glorifying it. No, you're recognizing, you're sharing. And how God has transformed you. See, the hope that you're given. But the desire to live for Christ. To see other people set free. And that's not your longing. Something's wrong with your Christianity. Something is wrong. I've, I've been telling you for years now. If your Christianity is the same as it was yesterday, a year ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, something is wrong. If you're not desiring discipleship, if you're not desiring and growing, hey, this is what I've encountered this week. I wasn't sure how to respond. Can we search scripture together? Can we pray together? So that I could be equipped to go out there. How many of you are longing to be equipped? Well, that's not my testimony. That's Carrie's testimony. Maybe God will bring them across Carrie's path. No, God has brought them across your path. (laughs) Doesn't mean you have to have been this, 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 and that. That's another thing. This weirdness that people say, well, I've never struggled with it, so what benefit can I do? You're a sinner. Why is that sin different than yours? What? Do you understand the mockery that the enemy is doing? Do you understand how he's engaging warfare, his tactics, to keep the church quiet and confused? We're all sinners. We're all of us. There's no greater sin than the other. The core of yourself, you're a sinner. And you need Jesus. Oh, how I pray, how I pray, how I pray. We are desiring growth. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. I believe I read it already. But hear it again. Let us hold what? Tightly without wavering. To the hope. To the hope we affirm. For God can be what? Trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 through 10. But you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. Remember, you didn't choose God. God chose you. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness, oh my goodness, of who? God. For he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. 
And this is good news. Christianity isn't bad news. To the lost it is. The gospel is not an easy message to hear. It never will be. And why on earth the church is trying to water down the gospel makes no sense. But then you go, well, that's the tactic of the enemy. If he can water it down, he can keep people enslaved to sin and under the judgment of God. But you, Christian, have all authority in Christ to step in and to declare the good news of Jesus. That you don't have to remain under the wrath of God. That you can be swallowed up in the love of God. And listen to how you're to be thinking of yourself, how you're to be thinking of other Christians, so that you're called to go out and impact the darkness of this earth for the glory of God. For he called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. That's who you once were and who you are now. Oh, that you would live out your destiny. Oh, that you would understand truly whom you or who you belong to. Like Jesus, you all. We got to start celebrating Jesus. We got to just start living life. No, I'm sorry, I no longer do that. Oh, you think you're better than me? No. No, in fact, I know good and well I'm not. In and of myself, I am not. Because of Christ and what he's done in my life. Oh, there you go again, talking about Jesus. Well, as for me, I consider myself dead, but I'm alive in Christ. So that's all I can talk about. See, there's a way that you ought to be living. You're to be discipled. You're to grow. And you're to be around a community that's encouraging that. And that you're a part of. Again, not just taking and taking and taking, but giving, doing your part to connect, to love, to serve, so that the world around us is impacted by a community that belongs to God so that they can know that He is God. The Heidelberg Catechism. Again, a tool that I've just put out before us to learn, to, to kind of grow in, in, in the knowledge of what we, what we believe and whom we believe. So we're on day, the Lord's Day 23, question 59. The question would be, and again, maybe, maybe unbelievers don't ask you these questions and, and as verbatim, but they will ask you in some fashion, similar fashion, these type of questions. And you as a believer should be prepared to give an answer. Don't wait for someone else to do it or move them on to someone else. If you don't know the answer, sit them down and say, I'm going to find it. When I find it, we're going to sit down and we'll discuss it. You have an opportunity. Don't pass it off to someone else. You have an opportunity to share 
And so the question would be, what good does it, I'm sorry, what good does it do you, however, to believe all of this? Well, here's the answer. In Christ, I am righteous before God and an heir to life everlasting. In Christ, it's not of my own righteousness, it's something that I have obtained myself because I'm a good person. No, I'm not. In and of myself, I'm in rebellion towards God, but because of Christ, and through Christ, and of His righteousness, I'm an heir to His throne. I mean, do you walk in that confidence? I'm an heir to life everlasting. And because of Christ, I am made right with God. All that Christ has accomplished, I am at peace with my Creator. Well then, question 60. How are you righteous before God? Here's your answer. Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all of God's commandments, of never having kept any of them, and of still being inclined toward all evil, evil, nevertheless, without any merit of my own, but out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I have never sinned nor been a sinner, and as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. All I need to do is accept this gift with a believing heart. There's scriptures that when you get the notes, that you could go search for yourself and understand that answer. It is nothing of me. It is all of Christ. But what Christ has accomplished, this is how I can live. I am forgiven. I am cleansed. It's as if I was ne- I never had a nature in rebellion towards Him. It's as if I never sinned before. This is the confidence in which I can get up each day, yet though in me there is still a nature that is inclined to do it. But oh, greater is He that is in me than he that is in this world. And I can walk upright in the midst of the wicked and perverse generation. Oh, I don't know if you're talking to yourself this way or not. Do you really believe in whom you say you're worshiping? Did you really wake up today with an attitude of worship? Not just because it's Sunday or any other day. Because this is, that should be your heart attitude every day. But I'm worshiping God. The one who spoke everything into an existence. The one in whom creation itself is longing for. Like, he chose me. Like, he was pleased to reveal himself to me through his son Jesus. Like, this is real. This isn't some made-up story. This isn't some book that men who had nothing and they weren't in contact with each other throughout all these years... Schemed up a plan to put this book together to trick humanity. What kind of nonsense are people believing? Well, I once believed it. 
before Christ. But this is the good news, you all, that we have. Question 61. Why do you say that through faith alone you are righteous? Because that's what it is, you all. It's just by belief. It's just by faith. How do you know it's true? By faith. I believe. Well, why do you say that through faith alone you're righteous? Here's the answer. Not because I please God by the worthiness of my faith. It is because only Christ's satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness makes me righteous before God. And because I can accept this righteousness and make it mine in no other way, by no other way, yet through faith. There's no other way. By faith, I believe. See, I don't know. See, I didn't grow up in church. And there's a lot of people who have grown up in church or they've sat in churches the majority of their life or they've been connected somehow, some way to church. And yet they don't even know the one who the church belongs to. People are sitting in church and doing church things and yet they're not the church. And it's the most craziest thing. What are we doing then? If he is not whom we are serving, then why are we calling ourselves his people? If we're introducing all these other things that we say, oh, you have to do it this day. You have to eat this way. You have to do this and you have to do that. And and if you don't, then, well, you're not of the church. And yet we're told in the Bible that if you introduce doctrine like that, that's of demons. Because you're taken away from Christ. And now you're making, you're putting it on you to do what is right to make you right with God. Oh, we better wake up. We better wake up. We have an enemy out there. His desire is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But our God, has come to give life and life in abundance. And why we aren't sharing it and motivated to share it, I can tell you why, because you don't believe it. Because you will share what you believe. Think about what you've posted. Think about what you've talked about in your inner circles this week. You've talked about what you believed. Well, I posted something about Jesus. Why? Well, I said a little thing about Jesus. And that's exactly what he is to your life. Something little. But to a Christian, he's our everything. Oh, no, I don't believe I can live that way. Well, that's your choice. I'm okay. You have that relationship with Jesus. Listen, don't put that on me. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm right with God. We're homeboys. We're down together. Oh. Show me that in Scripture. Show me where you belong to Christ and yet not love Him completely. And I'll join you. I'll join you. 
I'll join you feasting off the temperance of this life. We don't see it anywhere in Scripture at all. Second Kings is where we're heading to. A new book. I don't know if you ever read through Second Kings. But we're about to enter in. And listen. We see in the Old Testament and we see in the New Testament. The standard of God hasn't changed. The standard of God hasn't changed. And I want to read to you just a little bit to give you just an introduction to 2 Kings. And then I would encourage you to sit down with this introduction because you're just going to hear and a lot of times, a lot of the stuff that I'm even just pouring out to you, you're not going to remember. Some of you already think about other things. But I would encourage you to sit down and and and. and Understand what you can take from this book. Because just as we see what's happening in Israel then, oh, it's a word for us. Don't forget what the New Testament says. Why do we need the Old Testament? So that you understand Christ. Jesus didn't come to do away with it. He came to fulfill everything that is said about him. And actually, the old covenant, yet though it only took two or three witnesses to have you stoned to death, was an easier, lighter covenant than the new covenant. Because now you just don't need two or three men. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who testifies against you. And the wrath that you're going to endure. Not because he's a ooh, bad God out to get you. No, it's because you're bad. And in and of yourself, you hate him. Read scripture. See what it says. But here's what we can take away from the book of Kings, 2 Kings. How are we going to discover God in 2 Kings? The prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah, who ministered during the years covered in 2 Kings, give powerful perspective of God during this time. The first insight is God's sovereignty. Isaiah presented God as sovereign over the nations of the world. For instance, God treated the pagan nation of Assyria a world power of the day as a pet, whistling it to come and discipline Judah. And that day the Lord will whistle for the army of southern Egypt and the army of Assyria. They will swarm around you like flies and bees. Isaiah 7 verse 18. Later God would summon the nations to return Judah home to Jerusalem. The nations have been established by God for his purpose. And he is sovereign over all the affairs. God is still sovereign. He's still at work among the nations. He raises up his people to speak forth his word. 
to declare what God is doing in our time. As it was then, so it is now. And I love this picture. I love when Isaiah tells Israel and Judah, (laughs) in that day, the Lord will whistle for the army, these pagan nations. He's going to use these pagan nations to discipline his people because they turned from him. The Lord will whistle for the army of southern Egypt and the army of Assyria. They will swarm around you like flies and bees. But later God will summon the nations to return Judah back home to Jerusalem. I mean, it's beautiful. You see, God, what God has planned, God has purposed, God will bring it about. But if you want to run amok and keep running amok like Israel did, you want to keep running yourself, oh, he'll surround you with flies and bees. Oh, he'll allow you to experience, he will turn you over to what you so desire. But why would you want that? When he calls you to a life of obedience through Christ. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And you don't do what I've asked. The next, loyalty. Jeremiah presented contrasting messages to the nation of Judah. He told the people that their conquest of Babylon was imminent, or that their conquest of Babylon was imminent, but their permanence as a nation was not in question. God's purpose in taking Judah, I love this, into captivity was discipline, not destruction. Understand that. When God turns you over to what you so desire, it's not meant for your destruction. It's meant to discipline you. For you to cry out to Him to deliver you. For you to know Him as God. (laughs) Jeremiah 31 verse 36 says, I am as likely to reject my people Israel as I am to abolish the laws of nature. You see, God used the sun, moon, and stars as a testimony to His loyalty to Israel and Judah, yet though they weren't loyal to Him. He said that as long as the heavenly bodies existed, His chosen people would exist as a nation before Him. God promises to His people are solid as the universe. So how are we to grow through 2 Kings? You see, the failures of the kings in Israel and Judah give fair warning to those who follow God today. The first one is reproof. All the kings of Israel and most of the kings of Judah failed to listen to the reproof of the prophets. God patiently reminded them of their covenant obligations, but they only lived for and ruled themselves. As a result, God brought conquest and death upon their kingdoms. It is much wiser not to mention less painful to heed a verbal reproof than to receive a violent one. The second one is apprenticeship. In 1 Kings 19, 16-21, Elijah called Elisha to be his assistant, apprentice, and eventual successor. Elisha continued Elijah's prophetic ministry 
to the northern nation of Israel, much as John Mark did with Barnabas and Timothy did with Paul. Elisha demonstrated humility and servanthood by playing second chair to a leader. Those unwilling to serve are rarely asked to lead. And then finally, the glory of God. When Shinnekinarib, the king of Assyria, threatened King Hezekiah of Judah, Hezekiah went into the temple in Jerusalem to pray for deliverance. He prayed, Now, O Lord our God, rescue us from his power. Then all of the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone, O Lord, are God. We have a tendency when we pray, what's in it for us? But Hezekiah's priority was how Judah's deliverance would reflect on God. So, 2 Kings is where we're heading. We're going to read through chapters 1 and 2. King Ahab's death, the land of Moab rebelled against Israel. One day, Israel's new king, Ahaziah, fell through the latticework of an upper room at his palace in Samaria and was seriously injured. So listen to what he did. So he sent messengers to the temple of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, to ask whether he would recover. This is the king of Israel. And instead of turning to the God of Israel, he turns to this so-called God, Beelzebub, the God of, I'm sorry, at the temple of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron, to ask whether he would recover. But the angel of the Lord told Elijah, who was from Tishbe, Go and confront the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them, Is there no God in Israel? Why are you going to Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, to ask whether the king will recover? Now therefore, this is what the Lord says. You will never leave, I'm sorry, you will never leave the bed you are laying on. You will surely die. So Elijah went to deliver the message. When the messengers returned to the king, he asked them, Why have you returned so soon? They replied, A man came up to us and told us to go back to the king and give him this message. This is what the Lord says. Is there no God in Israel? Why are you sending men to Beelzebub, to the god of Ekron, to ask whether you will recover? Therefore, because you have done this, you will never leave the bed you are lying on. You will surely die. What sort of man was he? The king demanded, what did he look like? They replied, he was a hairy man, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. Ha, Elijah from Tishbe, the king exclaimed. (laughs) Then he sent an army captain with 50 soldiers to arrest him. They found him sitting on top of a hill. The captain said to him, man of God, the king has commanded you to come down with us. But Elijah replied to the captain, 
If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and destroy you and your 50 men. Then fire fell from heaven and killed them all. So the king sent another captain with 50 men. The captain said to him, Man of God, the king demands that you come down at once. And Elijah replied, If I am a man of God, that fire come down from heaven and destroy you and your 50 men. And again, the fire of God fell from heaven and killed them all. Once again, the king sent a third captain with 50 men. But this time, the captain went up the hill and fell on his knees before Elijah. He pleaded with him, O man of God, please spare my life and the lives of these, your 50 servants. See how the fire from heaven came down and destroyed the first two groups? But now please spare my life. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him and don't be afraid of him. So Elijah got up and went with him to the king. And Elijah said to the king, This is what the Lord says. Why did you send messengers to Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, to ask whether you will recover? Is there no god in Israel to answer your question? Therefore, because you have done this, you will never leave the bed you are lying on. You will surely die. So Ahaziah, or whatever you say his name, died. Just as the Lord had promised to Elijah, since this king did not have a son to succeed him, his brother Joram became the next king. This took place in the second year of the reign of Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. The rest of the events of Ahaziah's reign are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. Oh, we better be careful on who we're seeking counsel from instead of seeking counsel from the Lord. We've got to be careful of the little occult practices that we don't find to be that much, that big of a deal. You better be very careful how you're responding when you think words that you hear or say are greater than God. You better be careful of, of, of a sorcery, of terror cards, of horoscopes. You better be careful of the things that are not of God. They're of witchcraft. Know your God. Go to your God. Serve your God. Love your God. He has the answers you need. Chapter 2. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives, and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. The group of prophets from Bethel came to Elisha and asked him, Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. (laughs) Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. But Elisha replied again, As surely as the Lord lives, and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went together to Jericho. Then the group of prophets from Jericho came to Elisha and asked him, Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? 
Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. But again Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. Fifty men from the group of pro- fifty men from the group of prophets also went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stood. I mean, stopped beside the Jordan River. Then Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. The river divided, and the two of them went across on dry ground. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. Man, I don't know if you read this this week. I sent the scriptures out, but I was so moved by this whole... I mean, I've read it before, but just sitting on it all week, I was like, man, this is so beautiful. I mean, these men of God, in a day and age when they were hated, I mean, they were killing prophets. The people of God didn't want to hear from God. And so they were killing the men who were coming to tell them the word of God. And yet we find this relationship here. Elijah knows he's about to be taken up. Elisha knows. The other prophets are aware. The Spirit of God is moving among the men of God. And this is such a beautiful scene. Elijah looks at Elisha and says, Tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken away. And Elisha replied, Please, let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. You see, in Israel, the firstborn son was the one that would receive the blessing. Elijah didn't have a son. But to Elijah, Elisha was like his firstborn. And Elisha understood that. Remember the calling we saw last week that Elijah called Elisha to himself? And he's trained up. He lived, Elijah lived his life before Elisha. Elisha knew the man of God that Elijah was. And so he asked Elijah, bless me. I want to receive this double portion Verse 10, you have asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I'm taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. Oh my goodness, Please, this isn't some made-up story, you all. This isn't some excited climatic event that's taking place in a movie or in a book that man has wrote. This is actual events that took place. This is the God, if you are a Christian, whom you are serving. He sent for his servant a chariot of fire and horses of fire. Suddenly, a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried up by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elijah tore his clothes in distress. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, 
which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River, and I love this, he struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the river departed, I mean, then the river divided, and Elisha went across. When the group of prophets from Jericho saw from a distant what happened, they exclaimed, Elijah's spirits rest, spirit rests upon Elijah. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Sir, they said, just say the word, and fifty of our strongest men will search the wilderness for your master. Perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has left him on some mountain or in, the, in, or in some valley. No, Elisha said, don't, don't send them. But they kept urging him until they shamed him into agreeing. And he finally said, all right, send them. So the 50 men searched for three days but did not find Elijah. Elisha was still at Jericho when they returned. Didn't I tell you not to go, he asked. One day, the leaders of the town of Jericho visited Elisha. We have a problem, my lord, they told him. The town is located in pleasant surroundings, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Elisha said, bring me a new bowl with salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring that supplied the town with water and he threw the salt into it. And he said, this is what the Lord says. I have purified this water. It will no longer cause death or infertility. And the water has remained pure ever since, just as Elisha said. Elisha left Jericho Jericho, and went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, a group of boys from the town began mocking and making fun of him. Go away, Baldy, they chanted. Go away, Baldy. Elisha turned around and looked at them, and he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of them. From there, Elisha went to Mount Carmel and finally returned to Samaria. This is our God, you all. And I was reading these different commentaries about these boys who came out and was you know, yelling at Elisha. And they were saying that they, these, these weren't faithful Israelites. These weren't men of God. What they were doing was mocking the office of a prophet, and basically as they're just saying to him, you know, get away from here, go, it's like, why don't you go up like Elijah did, or like Elijah did? Why don't you just get up out of here? You know, and so he turned around, cursed them, and then bears came out and mauled them. Careful of how you're speaking against the Lord's anointed. Because you're actually not speaking against that individual. You're speaking against God. And God honors His Word. God honors His character. And God will not be mocked. He will not be put aside. He's God, you all. And He's a great God. He's a gracious God. He's a good God. Oh, that we would know Him. Go to Acts chapter 13. Acts 13, verse 42 through 
14, verse 7. And it's kind of weird how it's broken up. As Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue, remember Paul just gave this incredible sermon, laid out the gospel before the men of Israel and some God-fearing Gentiles. So as they left the synagogue, the people begged them to speak about these things again next week. Oh, but look, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. And oh, how we need to be encouraged in that. Again, the grace of God. It doesn't give you the license to sin. It gives you the power to be transformed. Grace. Grace. The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous. So they slandered Paul and argued against whatever he said. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared, It was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews. But since you have rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will offer it to the Gentiles. For the Lord gave us this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for his message. And all who were chosen for eternal life, oh dear God, hear that, became believers. All who were chosen for eternal life became believers. They didn't lollygag behind. They became believers because they were chosen by God. So the Lord's message spread throughout the region. You can't help receive and not spread what you've received. This is the good news. Then the Jews stirred up influential religious women and the leaders of the city, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. So, I love how they responded, Paul and Barnabas. They shook the dust from their feet as a sign of rejection and went on to the town of Edicanum. And the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The same thing happened in Enicum. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became what? Believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. Do you not understand what you are up against? Just sharing your faith, just giving people hope in Christ. Understand that that realm that you cannot see. The rulers and the principalities in the air and the darkness, they hate Christ, they hate you. And they will incite people against Christ. And as they are against Christ, they will be against you. I don't know if you listen to what I post as encouragement. 
But dear God, I posted. I, I just, I've been posting these podcasts that I've been listening to that have been so encouraging. And so this new podcast called Hymn Stories that give you the breakdown of where these hymns originated from. And I had no clue about this hymn. I have decided to follow Jesus. And if you have not heard where that comes from, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do it justice. You need to go listen to that podcast. It's a short podcast, but there is so much in it. It comes from India. Where a missionary went to India, to this place in India where they were cannibals. They were a horrible tribe of people, but people started getting saved. And the chief of this community was like, oh no, this isn't happening. So he brought the man, the first family that gave their life to Christ in front of him and in front of the community. And he told that man, denounce, reject Jesus. What are you doing believing in a man that's not even part of our community? And the man says, no, I have decided to follow Jesus. And so the the chief told his archers, shoot his kids. They shot arrows all into his little kids' bodies. They bled out and died in front of the man. And then the chief looks at him, deny Jesus. Why must your wife meet the same fate as your children? And he says, what's that next phrase? Though none go with me, I still will follow. The chief looked at his archers, shoot his wife. They shot up his wife with these arrows. She laid there, dying in agony. And then he finally looked at the man and said, why must you die? Reject Jesus. And he says, the cross before me and the world behind me. And the chief said, shooting. Man drops dead. After all of that, the chief goes, what is this? What kind of testimony is this? That this man and his family would lay down their lives for this Jesus. The chief comes a Christian that day. They said the whole community became believers. And you just show up for church when you want. Okay, I love Jesus. Do you understand what you're called to live? It's not some wispy, waspy, weird religion. Oh, do we understand who we belong to? And man, this song was penned after the lives of this family were given. And yet, Christians sing it over the years. But have you truly decided to follow Jesus? If you were dragged out like that man and his children and his wife were, would you stand there and look boldly at your accusers or those demanding you that can hurt your body and say, no, I'm not giving Jesus up. I mean, so many times throughout our days, we're quick to give up Jesus. Because what are they going to say? think about me if I say something? Oh, well, what if I say, no, I don't want to go, but then I'll just go because they're going to... 
and we're concerned. You're giving up Jesus quickly. Like there's a way in which you're called to live now, you all. Paul and Barnabas were preaching the good news. So the Jews stirred up these women and leaders of the city and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. So they did. Then the same thing happened in the next city. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message. They hated hearing it. And they poisoned the minds of Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. But the apostles stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of God. And that and the Lord provided, I'm sorry, proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. But then the people of the town were divided in their opinion about them. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Then a mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, decided to attack and stone them. When the apostles learned of it, they fled to the region of Laosinia, to the town of Lystra and Derbe, and the surrounding area. And they preached the good news, you all. Yet though... They are being chased, yet though mobs are being incited against them, they know whom they belong to. They know the good news in which they have been called to share. And you said, well, God gave them miraculous powers to do in front of people. Of course they were bold. And God gives you the ability to turn from your sin and to turn to Christ. And maybe you're not calling down fire. Maybe you're not placing your hands on people and healing them. But guess what? Your testimony alone, you being alive today, is the greatest miracle. Because you could have been dead. Tell that testimony. You once were, but now you are. Oh, you may not do these great feats that we see these apostles do. Just you alone being willing to stand for Christ is enough of a miracle. When you have everything in this generation screaming at you, sit down and be quiet about your God. You're a hater. What you preach is hate. It divides. (laughs) But stand up boldly. Testify of your God. Love your God, you all. Know your God. Because when you do, my God, He will move, not on your behalf, but on His. You see, it's all about Him now. It's all about Him. Go to Psalm 139. Ooh, I hope you all are excited. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Psalm 139. One of my favorite psalms. This is the psalm of David. God, listen, we've we've heard about sovereignty. We've heard about how great God is, how God knows us. Hear the words of this psalm that was penned by King David and know your God. Go sit this week. God, I hope you are. 
sit and open up the Word of God and read it. Understand how great He is. And then question yourself, why aren't you loving Him? If you're not. If you're loving Him, then understand that it even more enrich you with who He is and who you are. But listen, if you really look at yourself and you say, yeah, no, I'm not there, you better ask yourself, why haven't I relinquished my right to self? When I see how great my Creator is, why am I still settling for the temporalness of this world? When He's given me everything that I need, And he's drawing me to eternity with him forever. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I am far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me. And your strength, oh God, will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed. Oh, dear God, can we hear this? And the other seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You say you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day has passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Oh God, if you only would destroy the wicked, get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. Oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred. For your enemies are my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path 
of everlasting life. My God. And there's a generation of today that's coming up and they don't know how great God is. They're being bombarded every which way to hate Him, to deny Him, to create their own God. <laughs> no created God can ever match the Creator. And what are we doing? What are we doing? We have youth in our life. We have, we have elderly in our lives. We, we have middle-aged people in our lives. We have young people in our lives that need to know the love of God and how connected God is to them. He's not far off. He's not distant. He's with them. Even when they were formed in the wound. Even before. This is our God, you all. How are you representing Him? You are called to be his ambassador. If you're a Christian, you're called to be his ambassador. You're called to go forth. And we ought, to, we ought to be sharing with our youth who God is and the love of God and the greatness of God. Because they need to know God because their little hearts and their minds are being bombarded every day with such confusion. And they need to know God loves them. But just as much as He loves them, apart from Him, they will endure His wrath. When was the last time you sat down and prayed with your kids, with your grandkids? When was the last time as a family you sat down and you said, well, they don't want to with me. Well, then you sit down and do it. Because that's been the problem. They haven't seen you do it. But when you sit down, and it's not to put on a show for them, but in all sincerity. Like, no, I'm learning of God, I'm loving God, and it is my desire that you will learn of Him and love Him. If you want to join me, then join me. Like, you need to know God. Like, God loves you, God created you, God has formed you. If you keep choosing and resisting Him, that, is, that would be your choice. But do you understand the consequences? Like you're in a generation that hates God. But you love God. Grow in God. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. The one in whom God sent so that you can live and experience life to the full. The one who will help you with your confusion about your identity. The one that can help you through your panic and your anxiety. The one that can help you Get through life. Because He's the author of life. Oh God, if we don't start declaring the works of God in our household, if we don't start declaring the works of God to ourselves, no one's going to know Him. If God wanted to do, He will do. And He keep, continues to do. But God raises up a people that sends them out throughout the earth to say, testify of me. God doesn't need us, but God has called us <laughs> to go forth and to be an example to live for Him. Proverbs, we're closing. 17. 
Oh, go back to Psalm 139 this week and sit in it. Read it out loud to yourself. Psalm, I mean, Proverbs 17. Three nuggets of wisdom I'm going to throw at you. 19 through 21. You know, when I think of the years I hated God, when I think of the years that I hated the Bible, I hated the church, and all along thinking I was the man, (laughs) and then to be humbled and be like, God, I just love your word. Like, I could just sit and just weep just reading his word. But these are joy, these are joyous tears. He's like, oh God, like this is life to me. God, you're so good. You, you could have let me have died, but yet you spared my life. Just as he spared your life. He is such a great God. He is such a good God. And why would we trade him just to live out of us, live out of our desires that are just leading us away from him? Like, he's such an awesome God. 17, verse 19 through 21. Anyone who loves to quarrel, Jesus, loves sin. Anyone who trusts in high walls invites disaster. The crooked hearted will not prosper. The lying tongue tumbles into trouble. It is painful to be the parent of a fool. There's no joy for the father of a rebel. I'm going to close this with this last song, and then I'll close this in prayer. Child, come 
Child, come forth, walk away. 